Well, I want to say good afternoon to everyone. You sound like you just ate. I hope by the grace of God that you will receive a blessing in this seminar this afternoon. My name is Pastor Dwayne Turner. I'm a pastor in New York City. Been pastoring in Northeastern Conference for about 20 years. And I've been blessed also to be able to go and give prophecy seminars in many parts of the country and many parts and many parts of the world as well. And I've been blessed to talk to many people about the prophecies because I think they're so very important. I know that if we are focused as we should be, we cannot be surprised when the Lord comes. Isn't that right? Amen. But we'll know all the way marks leading up to the second coming of Christ. This afternoon, I'm going to be talking about an important topic, the takedown of ancient Israel, the takedown of ancient Israel. I want to explore this topic to know what happened in times past. We today are described by the the pen of inspiration, the spirit of prophecy, as modern Israel or spiritual Israel. So we want to find out what we can glean as Israel of today, contemporary Israel, what happened to Israel of old, and what, we, what may we learn today. By the grace of God, I pray that you will not only um, receive a blessing from this seminar, but also I see some of you writing, taking notes, Feel free to do that. Um, uh, it would help you to be able to do some more study and follow up when you go home. Um, just want to let you know also that I think they pass out some comments, uh, a comment sheet, I should say, that allows you to write your comments and what have you. It would be helpful for you to do that if you are blessed by the seminar. All right. Also want to let you know that um, I have spoken also on Audioverse, uh, audioverse.org. And to tell you the truth, um, those seminars I wish I could do because they themselves are very informative, but you only can do one. And so this is the one that the Lord has given me. But I would encourage you to go on audioverse.org and you might be able to hear five messages that the Lord has given me to share that has been posted on that website. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now as we consider this subject, the takedown of ancient Israel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you have allowed us, Lord, to come down here to Orlando, Florida and to tabernacle together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to come together, but now also, Lord, to be edified, to be strengthened, to be enlightened, to be informed. We ask in a special way now that your spirit will have full control. Lord, please get me out of the way, and in this place may yourself come forth, that, Lord, as I speak, it will not be my words, but those words that you have given me. Bless, Lord, the monologue, and bless, Lord, even our dialogue, that all shall be done in accordance with your will. When all is said and done, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
And I do want to encourage you, if time permits, and I pray by the grace of God it will, uh, to ask some questions coming towards the end, prayerfully if we can get through everything. The takedown of literal Israel. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 says these words, The thing that hath been is that which shall be, that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. And so what that's telling us is that history repeats itself. Is that right? Maybe a different name. Maybe it certainly is a different time and place. But it's just a repetition of something that has happened in times past. What we want to do now is go back to see what happened to ancient Israel. We're looking now for central reasons. In fact, I might even say the central reason why Israel is no longer, ancient Israel is no longer the chosen of God's people. This takes us back at this, in this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. It takes us back to a time where Israel has crossed now over the Red Sea. They are now beginning to contemplate going into the land of promise. And as they're doing this, the Lord has given them special instructions for when they get into the land of Canaan. The Bible says, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt do what? What does that say, everyone? Smite them and shall do what? Utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show, no, uh, nor show mercy unto them. We're reading Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 9. Look at verse 3. Neither shalt thou make what? Marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And then everyone please together, read these, this next clause in verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from doing what? From following me. Is that a promise from the Lord that that will happen? Is that a promise? It certainly is a promise. The Lord is saying, if you don't heed what I'm saying, they will turn thy son away from following me. And we may broaden that to understand that God's people will turn away from the Lord. If they don't heed these injunctions that the Lord is giving them, that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and shall destroy thee how quickly? Subtly, is that right? Okay? So the Lord is basically telling them before we go on, there's some red flags that you need to know about when you get into the land of Canaan. And you need to watch for those red flags. When you see the customs and the practices, the habits, 
the things that they are doing amongst the heathens, do not let that come to you. Don't let that become a part of you. Is that right? Is that what the Lord is saying? Amen. He says if you do, if you don't heed that, however, the, the focus that you have now is going to be refocused. You're going to turn in the opposite direction. Let's go on. But thus shall you deal with them. Ye shall do what? Destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and do what? Burn their graven images with fire. Now the Lord gives a reason. For thou art a what? Holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God have chosen thee to be a what? Special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. By the way, what verse does that sound like? When you start seeing words like holy people, special people. Anybody know? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse what? 9, is that right? When he starts talking about we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, is that right? So here it goes on to say, the Lord says, you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all that are upon the face of the earth. Now let's stop for a second. We're having this seminar in 2013, is that right? And we find a lot of people are very sensitive today. Today is a day of political correctness. Isn't that right? Amen. Is that true, everyone? Amen. It's, it's, it's not political to say amen. You can say that. Is that right? Amen. 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 Now listen to this. When we see the words above all people, some people will say, oh, that, 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 that sounds arrogant. Now, when you take 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you take that sometime and read it. All right, and you read this verse here. The Lord's people are not special and above all the people upon the face of the earth in and of themselves. It is as long as they stay connected to the Lord. Is that right? Amen. That special designation and classification is for them as long as they are plugged in to the one who is leading them, the Lord himself. In fact, I'll tell you a story. You know, um, there was a young lady who was getting baptized many years ago in a church that I was was uh, at that time, time was very young as a church I was attending and uh, she when she was baptized she came out of the pool and I said welcome to the Adventist church you are not better than anybody but you are better off than everybody and I did not know that she was bothered by it she didn't understand it in fact two years later she came to me and she said I have to apologize of course, I didn't know what she was, what she was referring to. She said, yeah, I have to apologize because she said, you probably didn't know, but I was upset with what you said, but now two years later, I understand. It's finally, it's, 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 it's hit me. You are not saying, I thought I heard that you're saying we're, you're, we're better, but you're saying that we're better off. Of course, as long as we are connected to the Lord who made this earth, we are better off. Isn't that right? Amen. Following what the Lord says makes us better off. Well, let's go on. Above all the people that are upon the face of this earth, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the what? Fewest of all people. Wasn't there numbers? 
Okay, it's a small group compared to the world's population, but let's go on. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of the Pharaoh, of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his what? Commandments to a thousand generations. So I would encourage you to read this often because this is how the Lord is saying, I, I, I have made you my special people, not just because I looked at you and said, I like you as opposed to others. I mean, the Lord loves everybody, is that right? But what makes him, makes them his special chosen people is their relationship to him and whether or not they will follow what he says so that they can be an example to the rest of the world. Isn't that right, everyone? Amen. All right, let's go on. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 now. Now, now the Lord wants to sustain them. I want to show you this now. The Lord wants to sustain them. The Lord has given them the knowledge from the time of Egypt, even though they were vacillating for a while. They weren't so sure if the Lord was working through Moses, if this thing about an exodus is really something that they ought to be in, you know, involved with. Some of them were very settled in Egypt and, and wanted to stay in Egypt. But then they did see that the Lord brought them out with a mighty hand. Isn't that right? Those 10 plagues unmistakably showed that God is a God of the world. He is the great God and no God of wood or stone that, that the Egyptians would pray to could stay the hand of this living God. Isn't that right? But now the Lord, when they came out, the Lord showed them, I'm still with you. He gave them the pillar of fire by what? By night and the pillar of cloud by what? By day. Isn't that right? But let me tell you that. That's just showing that the presence of the Lord is there. That, that is still not monitoring them in a more direct way. That's just saying, listen, I want you to know when you see that presence by day and by night, I'm there. But the Lord had a way to talk to them even more directly. All right, so I'm going to show you what that is. Now, first he begins again to give the contrast, once again, between the heathens that are in Canaan and his people. Look what it says. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the what? Abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or a chanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Today, I guess we would just sum that all up as a psychic, right? Okay? For all that do these things are a what? An abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So the Lord calls all forms of witchcraft, sorcery, the psychics, he calls that an abomination. And we want to be careful in these last days. Amen? Amen. That, that we don't dabble in that ourselves. Amen? Amen. See, see, we may not, you know, the, the devil has a modified form of everything he's doing for Adventism if we accept it. Yeah. 
Are you following me, everyone? And we've got to be extra careful. Some people don't get into the hard witchcraft and psychic sorceries, but then there are those who are superstitious. And that, too, is a form of witchcraft. Amen? Uh, now, that's not to be mistaken with, you know, grandma's uh, feeling a little twitch on her wrist and believing that rain is coming. That's all right. Amen? That's biological. Okay? But so there are those who, you know, you walk um, 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 down the road and you see a black cat crossing across your path. And there are some, some of us getting nervous. You're all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then some say when a mirror breaks, that's seven years bad luck. Now, there, are there any here from the West Indies? All right, a few from the West Indies. So in the West Indies, there are some who say when you feel a little twitch in your hand, it means that you're, you're going to get money. And if you feel a little twitch on this side of your hand, it means you're going to be broke or you're not going to get any money. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what all those things mean. If a black cat cross your path is not seven years bad luck, it's about a seven-second delay in your journey. Just give them a chance to go on by. You keep on stepping. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? If a mirror breaks, you know what that means? That you need to go to the store and get another mirror. Amen? Clean it up. Amen? What did you say? Clean it, <laughs> uh, clean it up. You got to clean it up. That's right. All right. Or if you have a, a, a little twitch in your in your hand right here, you know what that means? That's the place you need to itch. <laughs> itch it and keep on stepping. Amen? Amen. And if it's on this side, do the same. In other words, these superstitions don't mean anything. Is that right? We must trust in God. Let me show you something. You know what the Lord says? He says, "Thou shalt be what." perfect with the Lord thy God. You know, I, I love that statement because, you see, people who are into psychics and all of this, they are chasing the dark. They are chasing the unknown. They are chasing the unconfirmable. You get that? So they're running around, you know, reading things and horoscopes. They're on the, on the, on the subway or the train, or the bus, and, they, and, they, and they're wondering what's going to happen to a Taurus today, a Libra, a Sagittarius, and all of this. And they're chasing the unknown, that which cannot be confirmed. The Lord wants us to chase what can be confirmed. Amen? That's the word of God. Let's go on. For these things which thou shalt possess, these nations, sorry, which thou shalt possess, hearken unto observer of times and unto diviners, but as for thee, the Lord thy God have not suffered thee so to do. So God's people get inspiration from a very different source. Amen? Amen. Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. All right, let's go on. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a what? A prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall, what? What's that word again, everyone? Hearken. Now, stop for a second. I just want you to think about this. He's already given the contrast of what the heathen nations do. And he said, don't do that. That's not for you. Have different sorts of inspiration. What I want you to do, I want you to be perfect with me. So I will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. 
of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, let me stop and say this. In the spirit of prophecy, we see this as actually a messianic prophecy pointing to the time of Christ. Are you following everyone? But do not forget, it is also the time of introduction of the prophets themselves. Because the prophet system is going to be installed now and will exist all the way to the time that the master prophet, the one to which all the prophecies point to, Jesus Christ, will come. So, the same descriptions now that are appropriate to pointing to Jesus are now the kinds of descriptions expected to describe God's prophets. Now, they're not the same as Jesus, but they're expected to be like him. Are you following me, everyone? Now, I'm going to show you this. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall, what's that word again, everyone? Hearken. Now, the word hearken means really pay attention to. That's like the old, uh, what the, I guess what, uh, the, the queen or the king, they're going to make an announcement and the trumpeters come and they would blow, dun, 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 dun. hearken, hearken, listen. That means this is not an announcement for you to pass over. Everybody is to stop, look, and listen. It's the same kind of attention now is to be paid to the prophet. Let's go on. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb. What's another name for Horeb? Another name for Horeb. What is Horeb referring to? Mount Sinai. Okay, we'll show you in a second. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, now look at the words, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. Now you know it's talking about, because you're going to see in just a second, or be reminded that right after the giving of the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel were so scared, weren't they, that they asked Moses to ask the Lord to speak to them another way. Let's go on. We'll see that in just a second. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. Now listen for a second. This point now, this is not what, uh, this is not to, comparable to what we're going to see later. Later we're going to see the children of Israel asking for things that the Lord has not designed. When this says they have well spoken that which they have spoken, the Lord is saying this is in my plan and this is, your plan is in my plan. We are compatible. What you are asking is what I am establishing anyhow. I'm going to explain that in just a second. I can see the question marks on your face. Look at this. The Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. Now, what have they spoken? Exodus 20, 18 and 19, right after the giving of the Ten Commandments, what does it say? And all the people saw the thunderings and the what? Lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they did what? They removed and stood afar off. That was right after the, you know, the rendering of the Ten Commandments. You remember now, while it was happening, and even before it happened, if you look at Exodus 19, 
you will find that, that, that there was an elemental reaction, wasn't it? Just at the presence of the Lord, Ellen White says that the Father and the Son came down, sat down on Mount Sinai. So the people were nervous. Now, they weren't even all the way up in the mountain. We know that they were actually at the base of the mountain, standing outside a boundary that was drawn around the mountain. They were told you can't go past that boundary. Let's go on. And they said unto Moses, speak that. I want everybody to read this now. Because I know, you know, you just ate lunch, so if, if you don't interact with me, then next thing you know, I'll be trying to wake you up. All right, so let's go on. What does it say? Let's read this together. Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we what? Let, now, everyone, please, I'm asking you to pay attention to what I'm saying to you. This can be one of the most important things that you have heard. And I do believe that. The request is, speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Now, what was the request? The request was that God had been speaking to them audibly at Mount Sinai, they heard the voice of the Lord, but it caused them trepidation. Now what they're saying is, ask the Lord to speak to you what he wants us to know, and then you turn around and speak to us what the Lord told you. Are we in agreement with that, everyone? Yes. Please, listen to me. The request is not to change the content. Please listen. The request is to change the delivery method. So that when the method has been changed, the integrity of what has been said stays high, but the message is delivered a different way. So you are to consider what now in this new mode of operation, what the prophet says is not the prophet's words, but the words of the Lord. Does that make sense, everyone? Yes. No change in content. He, they didn't say, Moses, tell him, water it down. You know, we don't like what he's saying. Give us an easier presentation. Something more akin to our lifestyle. No, Moses, please ask the Lord to talk to us another way. So when this system is delivered, it is now the Lord speaking through a mouthpiece. Oh, absolutely. It was certainly out of fear. That, that was the main reason. I mean, they were, they were nervous. Uh, again, the, the, the elements, uh, we had the thunder, the lightning, we had everything happening there. They were very shaken by the time the Ten Commandments had been spoken. All right? But the important thing is now there's a change of delivery system. Let's go on. Deuteronomy 18, back to Deuteronomy 18. We're looking at verse 18. I will raise them up a what? A prophet from among their brethren, like unto who? Now, I want you to go back. What does verse 15 say? Like unto who? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, where did I go here? Like unto, oh, where it is. Yes, I'm sorry. Like unto who? Me. Now, what does it say in verse 18? It's going to raise up a prophet. I'm sorry. 18, here. Like unto who? Unto who? Okay, you didn't get that. I think I confused you. Let me go back. Like unto who? Verse 15. Me. All right, verse 18, like unto who? Okay, the prophet is spiritual. But the prophet is also human. Are you following? Let's go on. And will put my what? Words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So in other words, the prophets, the word the prophet speaks are the words that the Lord placed in the prophet's mouth to speak to God's people. So when you hear the prophet, who are you hearing, everyone? You're hearing God. I hope you understand where I'm going here. The respect level for the prophet needed to stay up. Not for the prophet alone, but for the words the prophet was speaking. Amen. Let's go on. And it shall come to pass that, what does it say, everyone? Whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which ye shall speak in my name, I will do what? Now, those are serious words. That word require means uh, um, I will judge. Is that right? I will ultimately judge. You will have to give an account. So in other words, the children of Israel were responsible for the words of the prophet as verily as responsible as they would be hearing the audible voice of the Lord directly. Let's go on. For the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. That's how I'm able to know when you read that verse as this whole subject of the, of the description of the prophets, prophets is unfolding in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is how I know it applies not just to Jesus, pointing to Jesus as a messianic prophecy, but it is also talking about the prophets, the system that he's about to establish, a prophet system in their day and time. Let's go on. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 8, things began to change. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're starting with verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was what? Oh, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, the first name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second, Abia. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Now, you see it says Samuel was old. 
right? So now they're, they're, they're going to ask for a new system. A lot of things happen under the guise of old. Out with the old, in with the new. I don't have time to really elaborate on that, but we've got to be very careful. We see this happening a lot today. So oh, these things are outdated. Certain things are outdated. We need to get rid of it. And many of the things that we're talking about these days are found in the Bible and spirit of prophecy. The Bible and spirit of prophecy are not outdated. Would you say amen? amen. They never get old. Isn't that right? In fact, when you read it today, you read it 100 years ago, it still applies in that day and time. Let's read on. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art what? Old. Thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a what? King to judge us. What does that say, everyone? Like all the nations. Now, do you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 7? The Lord says, you are not like all the what? You're not like all the nations that write. But what are they doing? They are looking on the other side of the fence. Isn't that right? You remember that old saying, the grass is greener. It's so old you've forgotten it, right? <laughs> the grass seems greener on the what? The on the other sides. It's called keeping up with the... Joneses. All right, all right, you, you remember. Keeping up with the Joneses. You're watching others. And you know, when you do that too often, what begins to happen is you look on the other side of the fence. And if you were told you shouldn't be looking, what happens, you begin to focus on things, only the good things on the other side, forgetting that you weren't supposed to be looking on the other side. The more that you look at only those things that are good on the other side, you begin to now look at the bad things that are on your side of the fence. You fo start focusing more on the good things on the other side, the bad things on this side. After a while, you begin to long to be on the other side and maybe eventually you leave and go on the other side. The children of Israel were looking at the pomp. I'm using some of Ellen White's uh, descriptions. The pomp and the regal, I believe she uses the term, of the kings of the other nations. Seeing how they, you know, they had this regalia and splendor. You know, as they went around, I suppose, you know, there, were, there was, with, was with, with great fanfare. You know, they would have their, their entourage. But now the prophet, you know, was a simple person going around, not much fanfare, just doing the work of the Lord. And they wanted to, you know, be updated and, 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 and get, in, get in with the times and, and become relevant. Are you following me, everyone? And so they said, make us the king to judge us like all the other nations. But the Lord said, you're not like all the other nations. But look what it says. Now follow this, everyone. This is very important. But the thing displeased who? Samuel, when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Samuel is taking this personal. Look what happened. And the Lord said unto Samuel, do what? Hearken unto the what? Voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they, I'm going to ask you to read this with me, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected who? Me, that I should not what? 
in rejecting the prophet, they're rejecting the Lord? See, Samuel was taking this personal. But the Lord was saying, Samuel, elevate your thinking. This goes beyond you. You're just the instrument. The truth is, they are actually rejecting me. You know, I, I like to say this, a little bit of a word play, but you see these words that I should not reign over them, R-E-I-G-N. Reign really means to rule, isn't that right? But now in that same family is the word reign, R-E-I-N. Like you have the reins, like you have the reins for a horse. And the reins, R-E-I-N, are used to basically micromanage, isn't that right? So you tell the horse, you, you pull the, pull the, what is it, this, what do you call that, the strap, whatever it is, pull it to the right, and I guess it goes left, I don't know. Been a long time since I rode a horse, but some of you know what I'm talking about. All right? The bridle, bridle, thank you. So you pull that and it goes one direction, you pull it and it goes the other direction, that's micromanaging. Okay, but if the Lord cannot reign, R-E-I-G-N, follow now, we're talking about the rejection of the prophet. If the Lord cannot reign, R-E-I-G-N, meaning to rule over them, he certainly will not be able to reign, R-E-I-N, over them. In other words, the micromanage. I believe those two are one and the same. You find when the re there's a rejection of the prophet, the little things that, 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 that seem to insinuate themselves upon the church, the Lord is not able to control. Why? Because he cannot reign, he cannot reign, R-E-I-N, over us, meaning to micromanage every step that we take. Therefore, he ultimately cannot reign, R-E-I-G-N, over us ultimately. That's why we have the prophets. Let's go on. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served what? Other gods, so do they also unto thee. You know, then he says, you know, I want you to, I want you to make a case. And we're going to see that in just a sake. Make a case as to what's going to happen if they don't turn from what they are asking to do. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 605. The prophet was what? Reproved for grieving at the conduct of the people towards himself as an individual. They had not manifested disrespect for him, but for who? the authority of God who had appointed the rulers of his people. Those who despise and reject the faithful servant of God show what? Contempt, not merely for the man, but for the master who sent him. It's, it is God's words, his reproofs, and counsel that are set at naught. It is his authority that is rejected. I'm going to say this to every one of us. I, I've been in this church all my life. As a matter of fact, I was born on the Sabbath. I was born into this church. Uh, I was born at 5.30 in the morning, born before Sabbath school. Uh, you can't get more Adventist than that. But I want to tell you this. I have watched 
major changes take place in the church today. Now I want you to know that I remember years ago when we were reading and studying and trying to settle things and issues and whatever we we're looking at, doctrine, principles, whatever it is, standards, what we would do is use our Bible and spirit of prophecy. They could both speak to us. Now you have folks within the remnant church saying, just show me from the Bible. And I just want to say to you, I hope by the grace of God you are seeing that the words that the Lord gives to the prophet are his words. Amen. To reject the prophet, we reject the Lord. Yes. You all agree with that? Yes. Yes. And if you're not sure, take these quotes and be settled with this question. Because I believe, let me tell you why I'm saying all of this. I believe this is so important that in this world of gross darkness, we need all the light that we can get in order to be saved. In fact, let me, let me illustrate that. I was going down a road once. I was driving. Actually, I think I was going to New Orleans for youth meeting or something. I think I was at Oakwood at the time. And I was driving down and went through Mississippi. Anybody here from Mississippi? All right. Well, if you know that there are some roads out there that are very, very dark. And I remember as I was driving by, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this for a second. Believe me, I'm not a crazy driver, but I, I said, let me just take a second. There was nobody behind me, nobody in front of me, probably looks like for miles. And I turned the light off just for a second. And it was pitch black. I turned it right back on. And I said, wow. I said, you know, that's what, that's, the word, that's what the Word of God is to us in these last days. Amen. You know what the Bible says, Psalms 119, verse 105? Thy Word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a what? Light unto my path. And, you know, I think of it, I say, you know what? Without the Word, this gross darkness around me. Right. You know, without these headlights, I wouldn't know where to go. That's right. Isn't that right? I mean, just, just, just for a second. And it's the same with my Christian walk with the Lord, without the word of God and the spirit of prophecy, because the Lord has given us that. We would not know where to go in these last days. Let's go on. 1 Samuel chapter 8, going back again, verse 9. Look at this. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly uh, unto them, and show them the manner of the king that should reign over them. In other words, tell them it's not going to be good for you. You think it's good. You see what the others are doing. You think it's going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for you. The Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people they, that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots to be his horsemen. Some shall run before his chariots. He will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. Will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, to be bakers. And he will take your fields, your vineyards, 
knowledge or olive uh, yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed, of your vineyards, give to his officers and to his servants, and he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, shall, and ye shall be his servants. Ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. In other words, and I read in the spirit of prophecy, it's saying it can't be taken back. So the Lord is saying, if this is a system you want, that's a system you're going to get, right? Nevertheless, what does it say, everyone? Read it with me, please. Nevertheless, the people, what? Refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. We want this king. Let me say this, everyone. What does it say? The word of the Lord put up in panoramic vision, in graphic language. This is not going to be good for you. But what had happened? The world had gotten in their system. When the world gets into our system, there becomes this insatiable appetite to do what they do, to have what they have, and to think as they think. And I will tell you this, it is very difficult, as you see right here, to turn people around under that arrangement. I want to say this, for fear of not being able to make this application. You know, when I was a boy, wherever worldliness exists, any worldly idea, any worldly plan that was being introduced into the church, it was always that brother, that sister, could have been the pastor, could have been the older person, male or female, whoever would stand up and begin to start talking about love, not the world, nor the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And would throw caution to some idea or plan that could not be confirmed by the Bible and spirit of prophecy. And we would turn course and back off. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this. It's kind of today the horse is out of the barn. Isn't that right? A lot of worldliness has come into God's remnant church. Never let it be said of us that it is something of no consequence. It's inconsequential. We need to point to the word of God and spirit of prophecy and do the work of reform. I want to say thank God for the general conference president that we have. Now, you may not say amen, but I'm going to say amen. Amen. Because the Lord has blessed us since July 3rd, 2010. I want to tell you, I'm just straying away for a second. The Lord has blessed us with a call for revival and reformation. Amen. In fact, I've given a seminar probably about eight or nine times in Atlanta since July 3rd, 2010. And when the weather permits, and I'm sitting on the right side of the plane as I'm coming down into Atlanta, and I look over there and see that white dome, the Georgia Dome, where we had the general conference, I say to myself, there it is, the epicenter of the shaking. I don't have time to explain that. But all I know is the Lord is giving a message of warning now in these last days, and we must heed this message. Let's go on. 
that we may also be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. Look at this, Christ triumphant. Now, now this is what Ellen White says about them hearing this strong statement about how it will be if they decide to press ahead and get a king like they're asking. This is what the pen of inspiration says about that, them deciding to stay the course. After this plain statement, they still persisted in having their own way. And Samuel did what? He consented. The people still were determined to have a king. They decided that Samuel did not understand the situation. If he only knew all the circumstances, the motives, and the designs, and understood as well as themselves the great advantages, he would be as ready as they as they to have a king to go in and out before them that the nation should not look down upon them and despise them look at this everyone watch this they did not in their spiritual blindness look beyond Samuel and discern that it was the word of God they were hearing through his servant does this sound familiar what they were saying, the prophet, the prophet needs to be updated. Prophet's a little old-fashioned. The prophet does not understand the benefits that we would receive by making this change. For that moment now, the words that the prophet was speaking was not inspiration. The word the prophet was speaking to them was his own thoughts. Brothers and sisters, never let it be said. We have some people today who are saying that, 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 that when Ellen White says, I was shown, the Spirit of the Lord showed me, I was shown, that those are words of inspiration, but if it doesn't, if we don't see those words coming before uh, a statement that she makes, then that's not inspiration. I, all I can say is this, if Ellen White had to say, I was shown before every statement, the volumes that we have would turn into, um, you know, 10 times more. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, you know, we can't have every, you know, you can't have every statement. It is all inspiration. Amen? Let's go on. The Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man into his city. And uh, the servant of the Lord said, then he retired, very sad, but retired to go get ready for this new change in the life of Israel. Now, want to do an update. Got to go quickly now. Got to do an update now. Come down later and see how this is working out in Israel, this new system. Remember, they didn't do away with the prophet, but now they have the king. How many would agree that constantly you would see tension between the prophet and the king? Raise your hand. All right, constant tension. Can I say this to you, everyone? You know why that is? Because the prophet system was a sacred idea. Are you with me? The king system was a secular idea. So the sacred and the secular always seem to collide. Isn't that right? Unless you had a few kings who actually made it more sacred 
But the truth was, it was never God's plan. Look what happened. This is an update. Watch this now. Woe to rebellious children. This is Isaiah chapter 30, 1 to 3, and then we're going to look at 8 to 13. Woe to rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may do what? That they may do what, everyone? Okay. Wow, I wish I had time to tell you about this, but I'm going to ask you to look at John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. I believe I got that right. Now I want to ask you to look at that. This is expressing a mindset. Okay? Under the mindset of adding sin to sin, they take counsel, but it's not coming from me. I'm going to show you in a second that that means they're not listening to the prophet now. Let's go on. That walk to go down into Egypt. Egypt after Egypt, the time in which the children of Israel were in Egypt, often the word Egypt is referring now to the world. Did you get that, everyone? That walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my what? Okay, but remember, he is not speaking directly to them, is he? He is speaking through the prophet. So when it says they have not asked of my mouth, it means they're not going to the prophets. I'll show you that in a second. To strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. And remember now, when we talk about the strength of Pharaoh, we know that Pharaoh thought that he was all-powerful, didn't he? But what happened to Pharaoh? It all came tumbling down when he went up against the mighty hand of the Lord. Is that right? So the strength of Pharaoh is this, this audacious, uh, groundless idea that you can, you know, that, that, that you are more powerful than God himself. And then God had to show Pharaoh that that, that is not the case. Let's go on. Verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a what? Rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, would say to the what? Seers do what? See not. And to the what? Prophets prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Now, who is the subject of this sentence, of, of, the, of this verse here? It's the what? It's the prophets, is that right? But they're saying to the seers, see not, to the prophets, prophesy not unto his right things. Watch this next verse now. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to do what? To cease from before us. Who is the Holy One of Israel? It's on all capitals. So who is that? That's God, is that right? The Holy One of Israel is God. What does this tell you? Verse 10, first they reject who? Then they reject who? Sorry. Then they reject who? First reject the prophets, then reject God. I want to say this. You cannot accept one and reject the other. Amen. Are you following me, church? Yes. 
This is important. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be as to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out of a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly in an, inst in an instant. Ancient Israel now at the first coming of Christ. Moving along here. Look at this. What does it say in John 1, 10, and 11? Now, we're going we're gonna to see what's, hap what's happened now. Uh, after this, this, they've asked for a king. The prophet has been diminished in terms of, 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 of him being respected and listened to. Let's see what happened. He was in the world, and the world, this is talking about God. This is John the Baptist talking, is that right? He was in the world, and the world was what? Made by him, and the world what? Okay, I'm talking, this is talking, this is John speaking, excuse me. This is John speaking. Listen to this. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world what? But then it says he came unto his and his what? I'm going to ask you a question. Are those reactions the same? Are those reactions the same? Okay, look at this. The world what? And then his own what? Is that the same thing? Is this the same net effect? Yes. Certainly. The reaction that the world had towards Jesus is the same reaction that his people had towards Jesus. Isn't that right? And I'm going to show you from the word of God why that happened. Let's go further. Matthew 1, 20 and 21. But while he thought in these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. This is Matthew 1, 20 and 21. For that which is conceived in her is of the what? Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now read this sentence with me. For he shall save his people from their what? Now I'm going to ask you a quick question. What was on the minds of the children of Israel at the time that Christ came the first time? What were they looking to do? They wanted to be released from the Roman yoke of oppression. What they were concerned about was self-determination, sovereignty, getting out from under, the, you know, this heavy Roman rule, right? So that, 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 that they can manage themselves. But I can tell you this, if these words, if this clause was changed to just one word, there would have been a very different reception for Jesus at the time that he came. Look at this. For he shall save his people from their sins. But if they're spiritual, if they recognize that the most important thing is that they be delivered from their sins, then Jesus comes as a welcomed Messiah to deliver them from their sins. But they're not concerned about that as much as they are self-determination. So if this word sins was changed to the Romans, you know that song, there was no room in the inn for Jesus my Lord. That's an old time song. There was no room in the inn for Jesus my Lord. You know that song? Brothers and sisters, they would have made room in the end if he was coming to save them from the Romans. Let's go on. Now, there were some, 
And I'm going to say these are non-Adventists who actually showed up at the time of his birth, on time, and they were focused. Look at this. That's the three wise men. Are you following me, everyone? Look at this. Desire of Ages, page 60. It was, now follow what happened for them to get to the right place in the right time at the first coming of Christ. It was necessary to journey by night in order to keep the star in view. But the travelers beguiled the hours by repeating traditional sayings and prophetic utterances concerning the one they sought. At every pause for rest, they did what? They did what? They searched the prophecies. And the conviction deepened that they were divinely guided. By the way, you know where they got those prophecies? They got them from Israel. I don't have time to really talk about them, but let's go on. While they had the star before them as an outward sign, they had also the inward evidence of the Holy Spirit, which was impressing their hearts and inspiring them with hope. The journey, though long, was a happy one to them. Look at this. Look at this. In other words, let me just, I don't have that particular, but I'm going to tell you something. What she says is that by night... By day, they had to stop because they couldn't see the star. While the daytime, during the daytime, they would study the prophecies. At night, of course, the star becomes visible again. Now they'd pick up the journey and they would recite or rehearse the prophecies that they had studied. So I like to say this, it was 24-7 prophecy leading up to the first coming of Christ. Listen to this. By the way, who gave them the information? I want you to follow this. How did they get that information? It wasn't just some writings that somebody wrote down in Israel. They got it from the prophets. Isn't that right? So the, they, were, they were reading the prophets, reading the prophecies the prophets gave, and they were appreciating it, and they were following what it was saying. Let's go on. They have reached the land of Israel and are descending the Mount of Olives with Jerusalem in sight when, lo, the star that has guided them all the weary way rests above the temple. And after a season fades from their view, with eager steps they press onward, confidently expecting the Messiah's birth to be the joyful burden of every tongue. But what happened, everyone? Read this statement. But their inquiries are what? Wow. Follow this. In the location where they got the inspiration, nobody knew anything about it. Check to the prophets. Is history repeating itself, brothers and sisters? Yes. Is history repeating itself, brothers and sisters? Entering the holy city, they repair to the temple. To their amazement, they found, what does that say, everyone? None. What is that word again? None. None who seem to have a knowledge of the newborn king. Their questions call forth no expression of joy, but rather of surprise, fear, not unmingled with contempt. Imagine, they got their inspiration and information from the ABC. <laughs> 
Are you with me, everyone? But now they come to the place where you could find that information and nobody seemed to know anything about it. You know why that is? You know what the conversation was dominated by? Let's get out from under this Roman yoke of oppression. We need to have self-determination. We need to have our own, you know, our own nation where we can determine what we do. Make our own laws, make our own regulations and rules. And this is dominating the conversation. Remember, brothers and sisters, what was so important. I just want to point this to you. Remember, right after Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord began to pronounce his judgments upon Adam and then Eve and then upon the serpent, but then he gives a solution. Genesis 3.15, is that right? How he's going to deal, he's going to deal with uh, 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 the sin question and he's going to send his son. That's a messianic prophecy, but listen to this. This should have occupied Israel's thinking. All of these sacrifices that they would, that they would offer daily and yearly and during the yearly uh, feast, all of these particular institutions that God gave were pointing towards the time in which Jesus would come and then replace all of that with himself. This should have been a time in which Israel was ready to have the verification that their sins are forgiven. But you see, brothers and sisters, when the emphasis is not on spirituality but on worldliness, there's a different focus altogether. Let's go on. Desire of Age, page 26, for more than a thousand years. I want you to see what Jesus met when he, when he came the first time. For more than a thousand years, the Jewish people had waited, uh, awaited the Savior's coming. Upon this event, they had rested their brightest hopes in song and prophecy, in temple rite and household prayer. They had enshrined his name, and yet at his coming, they what? Now, don't you think Satan was working hard to make sure that at the time of the first coming of Christ, Israel had lost his focus? And did it work? Yes. Did it work, brethren? Yes. Don't forget, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. There's no new thing under the sun, is that right? And here we are on the borders of the second coming of Christ, and we have to be able to make the parallels. In fact, I want you to see this. Look at this. But the Israelites fixed their hopes upon what? Now, this is the mindset that Israel had when Christ came. They fixed their hopes upon what? Worldly greatness. From the time of their entrance to the land of Canaan, they departed from the commandments of God and followed the ways of the heathens. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord said, don't go in the way of the heathen. Is that right? It was in vain that God sent them warning by his what? Prophets, the words of the prophets to rebuff, to reprove, to encourage, to enlighten, to turn them around, to set them back on the right course. They were not penetrating the ears of God's people. In vain they suffered the chastisement of heathen oppression. Every reformation was followed by deeper apostasy. 
Look at this. After return from Babylon, there's a Babylonian captivity, much attention was given to religious instruction all over the country. Synagogues were erected where the law was expounded by the priests and scribes, and schools were established which together with the arts and sciences professed to teach the principles of righteousness. But these agencies, what agencies are they? The synagogues and the schools became what? Corrupted. During the captivity, many of the people had received heathen ideas and customs, and these were brought into their religious what? So the things of the world walked into the church and into the school. Now, I do a seminar. You can hear it on audioverse.org. Music and worship, the chief battleground of Satan. I will tell you this. The music of the world has come into the church. I mean, did we, how many have been in Adventists for more than 40 years? Raise your hand. All right. How many more than 50 years? Raise your hand. How about more than 60 years? Oh, praise God. Beautiful. More than 70 years? Okay. You and I never thought that we would be conducting seminars, that I would be conducting seminars, maybe you're doing it as well, or counseling people, or talking to people, or maybe some of you are preaching, and telling us that the music of the world doesn't belong in the church. You never thought that, right? I mean, you never thought we'd have to talk to people about gospel rock, gospel hip-hop, gospel R&B, say that those genres of music have no place in the church? I never thought I'd be talking about it. In fact, sometimes when I'm going to give a seminar, I'm saying to myself, Lord, we really have to talk about these things now? But brothers and sisters, we must. Because many of us today believe that the things of the world can be mixed. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's ministry. It's methodology. And it wins young people. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, it is winning young people. But what is it winning them to? It's winning them to the world. Let's go on. I don't have time to talk about that. That's another seminar. Let's go on. Didn't they hear about this? On Sabbath morning, weren't they getting this on Sabbath morning about this, about Christ coming? No, the, the, the theme obviously was not preparation. In fact, remember Herod. You remember when Herod, you know, uh, got wind of all of this, 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 this talk about the wise men here, and, and it was really bringing a lot of, of chatter, and, and Herod was, was, was very nervous. He didn't know what's going on here. Is that right? And so he, he called in the priest and said, what's happening here? And Sister White says that, you know, they answered very, you know, impassionately, they were unenthusiastically. And he thought that they were actually just trying to downplay what was actually a coup, an, an attempt to overthrow Herod. So he thought, you know, you know, they're answering, but they really, behind it all, there's a plot. The truth was, was they were as unenthusiastic as they looked. 
They were not talking to the people about the second coming, I'm sorry, the first coming of Christ. They were not talking about the Messiah who was about to come. In fact, they even identify where he's going to be. Those of you who've been to Israel, you know that Bethlehem and Jerusalem are just six miles away. Is that right? They were right near each other. And yet he... They, they, they are saying he's going to be born nearby, but they're not even talking about it. Herod believed more than that because he killed all the boys. Ab absolutely. Yes, indeed. All right, quickly, I gotta, I, I gotta run quickly now. Look at this, Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, and saying, where is he that is born, king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, well, what, this is what we're talking about, he was troubled at all Jerusalem with him. Then he gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said to him in Bethlehem, Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. They're quoting the prophets, but at the same time they're not talking to the people about this very important, most important manifestation of prophecy in the embodiment of Christ himself. All right, now that leads us to this, and I'm winding down. Look, I want you to see this. You want to find out what happened to Israel of old and make sure that we're applying today these things to modern spiritual Israel. You want to know what happened? The scriptures will tell us, and then we'll look at the spirit of prophecy. What happened? Remember in Acts chapter 3 now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 11, in that area 9, 10, 11, Jesus goes back to his father. Is that right? Isn't that right, everyone? Okay, all right, and, and then now in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, we've had Pentecost. Acts chapter 3 now, Peter and John, who are part of Pentecost, are now going to the temple about the ninth hour of the day to pray. We know about this. We have this paralytic that is at the gate beautiful. He's been there for a number of years. He's always asking at alms. People are passing by probably regularly, but the disciples, fresh from Pentecost, loving the Lord, they're doing more than praying. Amen? Amen? They're doing ministry. Amen? So what they did is they stopped and they looked on this uh, paralytic and they said, you know, uh, um, uh, look upon us. We don't have any money to give you. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I, they, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what happened? The paralytic got up, is that right? Walking and leaping and praising God. And so, brothers and sisters, the other worshipers now, but not embrace Jesus, are coming also to pray at the temple. But you know what happens? Uh, these individuals don't have that connection. And you know what happened? They started watching this paralytic, and they were so amazed to see this miracle take place. And they were just fascinated. But Peter and John had been with Jesus, and they saw him working miracles. And Peter and John were watching them watching the paralytic. 
And so Peter began to speak. And this is what he said. I want you to see what it says. I got to go quickly now. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. Don't you remember those words in Isaiah 30, Holy One of Israel? You denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. That's Barabbas. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. I wish you did this without any understanding of what you're doing. But look at this. He's saying, I wish you did, but you didn't. Look at this. But those things which God before had showed by the, what does it say, everyone? Mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come for the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. Look at this. Whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of what? All his holy prophets since the world began. In other words, he is saying, the reason that you rejected him, you didn't listen to the prophets. The central reason why Jesus came and he went back to his father, doing this great act to die for all humanity, take care of the sin question, and then go back to his father. The reason they missed it is that their focus was turned away from spiritual things. They weren't reading the prophets. Brothers and sisters, encourage your fellow brothers and sisters to read the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Answer the doubts, answer the questions. They're sweeping all over the church. But you must be able to answer these questions because, brothers and sisters, we are in a world and a time of gross darkness and we need all the light we can get. Would you say amen? amen? Listen, I only have about two minutes. I'm not even sure I got to get through this because you got to see the rest. Read the rest of these verses. I'm almost here. I'm almost done. Look at this. In the rejection of the ways of God for the ways of men, the downward, the downfall of Israel began. This is education page 50. Thus also it continued until the Jewish people became a prey to the very nations whose practices they had chosen to follow. Okay? And I'm going to just refer to that. You take time to read this. This is E.G. White, uh, 1888 Materials, Chapter 115. But I've got to get to this. This is my last couple of slides. Look at this. First selected messages. Watch this. 
the very last deception of Satan will be to what? Make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Now, there's a, there's a deception for the world. The very last deception for the world is the impersonation of the second coming of Christ. Isn't that right? But the very last deception for the church is to do what? Make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. This is a plan of Satan. Where there's no vision, the people do what? Perish. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimonies. The enemy has made his masterly efforts to unsettle the faith of our own people in the testimony. This third selected message, page 83. This is just as Satan designed it should be. And those who have been preparing the way for the people to pay no heed to the warnings and reproofs of the testimonies of the Spirit of God will see that a tide of errors of all kind will spring into life. You know what happens? The shield is taken off. You see, if we're bringing in anything into the house of the Lord, we should not even think of it except that we read first the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go on. Third Selected Message, page 84. One thing is certain. These are strong words. Those Seventh-day, please read it with me, everyone. Those Seventh-day Adventists who take their stand under Satan's banner will first give up their faith in the warnings and reproofs contained in the testimony of God's Spirit. Look at this. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith. Then the pillars of our position then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures. This is like a snowball effect. It's, it's, it's going, it, you know, it's like an avalanche. And then the downward march to perdition. Look at this. What does she say here? It is Satan's plan to, number one, weaken the faith of God's people in testimonies. Number two, next faith follow, uh, next follow skepticism in regards to the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our position. Number three, then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures. And then number four, the downward march to perdition. Watch this. We sell that again. Weaken the faith of God's people in the testimony, skepticism the vital points of our faith. I'm putting this up for a reason. Then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures and then the downward march to perdition. I'm going to show you very quickly an individual who shall, rename, who shall remain nameless who wrote a letter and resigned from the work in the church. And this was actually posted on the internet. So I want you to see this. This, look what he said. Dear Elder Blank, it is with careful consideration that I submit my letter of resignation as interim pastor, associate pastor in the Blank Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, effective March 31st, 2010. Though I've witnessed and experienced my share of challenges with leadership, I assure you that this decision is not the result of any disagreement or ill treatment from the membership or the leadership. My reason for resigning is simply this. God is calling me to preach and teach the unadulterated gospel found solely in scriptures rather than the gospel, plus Ellen G. White and the SDA doctrines. In effect, what Galatians calls another gospel. I can no longer agree to preach or teach the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church or through my silence imply that I agree with them, but allow me to be plain and specific because I have been a student of the word and been sensitive to the Lord's leading and teaching. I no longer believe that scripture supports, number one, the mission of the church, the three angels message, 
Number two, the SDA church is the remnant church. Investigative judgment, no longer believes that Ellen G. White is a messenger of God, that the Sabbath is a seal of God, and the great controversy, well, world view. If you had time, if I had time, I would show you that this is an exact manifestation of what Ellen White said would happen in the last days. First, doubt as to the testimonies, and then doubt as to the pillars of our position. And then finally, doubt altogether in the Word of God. All right, brothers and sisters, let us read and believe what God has given us in these last days. Let us take the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to say this. I want you to hear this and make sure you note this, because I don't have time to really talk about it. The Bible is the Word of God. The spirit of prophecy are the words of God. Don't forget that. When I go around teaching seminars, I say that. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, you'll understand what I mean by that. The Bible is the words of God, word of God, the spirit of prophecy are the words of God. They both come from God. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. We're at a crossroads. Today, we can choose to go the right way or the wrong way. The question is, where will we go? We're going to go on the road to perdition. Are we going to choose to reject what the Lord has given? Are we going to go the way of ancient Israel? Or are we going to travel the highway to heaven? How many want to be on that highway to heaven? Raise your hand. By the grace of God. Heaven is our goal. As we sing in the church for so many years, side by side we stand, right? Heaven is our goal and saving every soul. Pray that we all will be there. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is coming and he is coming very, very soon. I just want to say to all of you, God bless you, ASI, and I thank God for the time we have spent together. How many have been blessed this afternoon? Amen. Praise God. Did you understand this seminar? Raise your hand. Praise God. God bless you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray, pray to close. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we have learned. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the spirit of prophecy. I thank you, Lord, even for the lessons of history, even though it is painful to see what happened to ancient Israel. But, Lord, these things are written for our ensample, that we may not fall to pray to what they fell to. Lord, help us in this room to be representatives of the Word of God. Help us to stand for the Bible and stand for and with the spirit of prophecy. That, Lord, as we give this message in the last days, we will have all the inspiration we need that we will not stray and we can lead others, Lord, to not stray and to be ready when you come. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us. Bless us as we go along our way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.